Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Blue Hello and welcome to the Man City Show again. John Stapleton standing in for Nigel Rothband. Uh, my guest today, uh, Super City stalwarts Nick Golson and Dave Hodgson. On the agenda today, was Lee Mason the worst ref we've seen all season? I know it's a tight field, but I'd love to hear your views. And was Pep right to call Marnie a diver? But first, uh, let's talk about Saturday's game and overall impressions. Dave, let's kick off with you. Overall impression of the performance against Southampton? I think there was a lot lacking for large portions of the game, and certainly it had all the hallmarks of being a very frustrating afternoon for the Blues. I probably would have taken a point when it was a sort of 70 minutes we'd been hammering at a brick wall for most of that game. But, you know, credit to us, we came, you know, we, we changed our game plan a little bit and we managed to get a result, which you know, we really needed. Nick? Uh, I thought ultimately it was quite refreshing in a way to actually get a result from a game like that. Um, the atmosphere at the ground was uh, good for most of the game. Um, but we were pretty flat for most of it. Uh, we obviously had the vast majority of possession. I don't know what the stats were, but I think if you exclude possession of the Southampton goalkeeper when the ball wasn't actually in play I think we probably had 90% plus of the ball um, didn't do enough with it uh, for most of the game um, and were rescued at the end but uh, you know some positives came out of it you know what I couldn't understand Dave uh, Southampton had a six foot seven Viking, or he looked like a six foot seven Viking, and three other giants in defence. We've got three midgets up front, uh, and we kept lobbing these high balls into the penalty area. How on earth was that ever going to work? Well, I think there were two major problems that were leading to this. Number one, we took far too long to realise the strategy wouldn't work. And I know maybe we would say it was fairly clear the strategy was not going to work. But what was sort of surprising about this is that Southampton had played in such a narrow fashion. So they were looking to, you know, they really packed the defence, they really sort of 
you know, given us almost the width of the pitch, and that's why our fullbacks were able to get so many crosses in, but they were confident that they would be able to defend this. And they had Ings and Redmond to try and launch counter-attacks, you know, when, when they broke with the ball. But generally speaking, their formation was very narrow. They wanted us to put these balls in. We were, and this, was, this comes on to my second point, that we were not set up for a team that were going to play like that. So I think Pep was maybe a little surprised by that. We, if, you know, if, say, we'd started with... Sterling and Mares, we would have had more natural width and we'd maybe been able to exploit that a bit more. But with Bernardo Silva, who probably our best player last season, but does not offer that same sort of wide play, we really weren't able to take advantage of that. And it took maybe a bit too long for us to adapt to that and change our game accordingly because the, st- the game plan we started out with was not well suited for the way Southampton set Your up. view, Nick, about all those high balls into the, into the box, which, which, you know, obviously Aguero and Jesus struggled to get to. Yeah, hopeless. Um, you know, we, we create this sort of arc of death around the opposition penalty area where we can control possession, we get it back, we feed it back to our sort of linchpin, which is generally at the moment Gundogan had a lot of the ball. He's feeding it out wide. Angelino had a huge amount of the ball at, uh, in, in that game. Arguably, you know, he's not our most devastating player. Um, I thought he played well, actually. I thought he did all right, but you know they were probably quite happy for him to have more of the ball than anybody else because you you know he's a young lad. He's only played a couple of games. You're not going to expect him to uh, to set the world on fire. Ultimately, he created the uh, the winning goal, but for most of the game, he was lobbing those uh, those balls in the box that weren't creating a great deal of problems for the Southampton defenders. I thought that bringing Jesus on in the second half was a good move. I thought we underutilised him and Aguero because in games like that, when you've got those small um, attacking players, particularly someone like Aguero, who is, you know, is one of the, the world's greatest strikers, you've got to be looking at getting the ball in, into feet, into the box, and leaving those types of players to make something happen, whether they... Uh, can score a goal, get a penalty, get a deflection, whatever it is, that's where you've got to make the most of those um, p- players. But it's not just about the player with the ball at, at his feet that's got to find the right pass. It's about Aguero, Jesus and others who've got to be constantly moving and finding the space for that ball to go into. And I think that's where we sort of lacked a, 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 a little bit for most of the game. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but you know, apart from the game against Spurs, when we were robbed of victory by VAR, uh, and the game against Watford, of course, where we scored eight, I, have never, I haven't seen City uh, this season play in such a way that's made me think, there's nobody in the league going to beat this team. You know, we haven't seen that magical performance for 90 minutes which we did witness two or three times at least if not more uh, in the previous two seasons am i am i being unfair is my is my memory playing tricks with me or am i being am i right about that in the league i'd agree with you and um i think this is something that is quite easy to explain when we think about the way this season's gone for us that almost from the off we've been on the back foot with particularly injuries in defense and you know, as Guardiola's sort of made quite clear, you know, the defence is where his attacks begin. That's the role, the principal role of defenders in Guardiola's philosophy. That's why he's been so particular about the defenders he brings in, because that's so important in how 
play builds up. So with in, you know, the injuries we've had, losing company, the injuries to Laporte, we've been patching over bits there. That's meant he's had to make changes at defensive midfield. So our play and the way we begin our moves has been a little bit disrupted. I think that's been a key reason why we've maybe not been as fluid, why we've maybe not been able to dominate and look as assured and sort of fluid in possession as we have because we're almost patching over other little problems and that's affecting us higher up the field as well. Why do you put it down to Nick? I think most of it's perfectly understandable. Uh, Partly injuries, partly that we won the league twice in a row and we're a bit stale. Um, And... You know, we're doing the same thing week in, week out. Most of the time it works, but there are some times where it doesn't. And, uh, you know, understandably, a lot of teams are now starting to better understand what, where to pinch us and where to concentrate on stopping us playing. And if you've been watching our, our game week in, week out for two, three years, then you know that we're doing the same, you know, it's pretty much the same thing. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel every week. We're trying to do the same thing over and over and over again because most of the time it it works. works. And it works because we're good and it works because other team make mistakes. And over 90 minutes, 11 v 11, one of the opposition players at least is going to make a mistake at least once and that's where you uh, you capitalise and you win the game. But if if you're up against a team that are prepared to really put the effort in and know what they're doing and know how to counter you, then if you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over, then you're just going to get staler and staler. And they're going to find you out. I know it's it's easy to have a go at refs, and I know they have the hardest job in the world, but Lee Mason on Saturday, uh, in, in one regard at least, I thought was, to put it mildly, lacking. The Southampton goalkeeper, by my estimation, uh, had about... Uh, 12 goal kicks and I would estimate that he took between 20 and 30 seconds for each goal kick you know Uh, he was warned twice but never booked and yet when Edison was found guilty of time wasting towards the end of the game he immediately got a yellow card am I being unfair on Lee Mason Dave? I don't think you are no and I felt that at various other points in the game he was maybe overly overly fussy and that broke up the flow of what was already quite a fragmented game which again didn't suit us so I was more inclined to be annoyed about it but that said the time wasting rule it almost seems to only ever get applied in the last 15 minutes I've never really seen a referee go out on the front foot and say I'm booking this guy early I'm having none of this in this game Mm, stamping out and making the game flow I've never seen it happen I'd love to see it happen but I think there's probably someone somewhere who whispers in their ear and says, you know, you, this is only something you do in the last 15 minutes. Were you as aggrieved as me by that? I mean, every time, every time that goalkeeper got anywhere near the ball, you know, and, and indeed their own, their own coaching staff at one stage, their own coaching staff actually were holding up the play. Yes, I thought he should have had a yellow card there, assistant manager, for doing yeah. that. Um, yeah, it happens time and time again. Um, Southampton keeper probably wasn't the worst that there's been at the Etihad, to be honest with you. Well, we had the ref in the Wolves game was, uh, although the time wasting in the Wolves game was was equally bad, actually. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, you, you really wonder how. It, I mean, Lee Mason's not the greatest of referees, but most of them tend to do the same thing. They will ignore it for eighty-five minutes yeah. and then start applying it when the game's reversed. When we, you know, when we've taken the lead, all of a sudden, you know, you're not allowed to do any time wasting. Yeah. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm fairly certain there wouldn't have been as much injury time had we not been winning. 
uh, as there was at the end of the yeah. second half. I have to say, I love the remark of Simon Mullock on the Sunday Mirror, giving credit where credit is due. He said that uh, Lee Mason was the worf- worst ref since Brian Glover in Kez. You have to, you have to be of a certain age, and I've seen the film to understand that, but it's a, it's a, it was a good line uh, for me. Uh, missed chances again, several of them, and, you know, unlikely hero in a way in, in Carl Walker, uh, who's, you know, been under a lot of pressure with Cancelo emerging on the scene. Made one, scored one. Can't complain at that, Dave, can we? No, and um, you know, I'll be honest. I've been a bit of a critic of Carl Walker down the years. I've always felt he was probably the technical weak link of our outfield players in Pep's squad, and maybe sometimes he's been more prone to make mistakes in possession. But he was one of the few players who I felt you know suited that game, adapted his play accordingly. It was the fullback spent a lot of time trying to sort of get in behind, put the ball in. Of course, he got, gets the ball in for the first goal, and that was a really useful contribution. But also. No one really expects him to pop up where he did. But, you know, his that, it, little bit of extra physicality, that little bit of extra height was a good thing to have in the box, worked himself some space, and, you know, finished quite well. So it's a, you know, it was a very important goal. You know, a bit like last season against Newcastle, his goals tend to count. And, no, it was a, it was a really good performance for him. I think he would probably have been my man of the match. Cancelo or Walker for you? Nick? Oof. Uh, a, bit, a bit too early to tell. Uh... Haven't seen enough of Cancelo yet. I thought he, he, I think I said it last time I was on a few weeks ago when we lost to Wolves, he actually had a good first half, Cancelo. He looked like a really decent attacking player and more of a technically gifted player than Walker. Um, but, you know, hasn't got the pace of Walker. Uh, I wouldn't say I was Walker's biggest fan, but he's a proper English, pacey right back, um, aggressive wants to put his heart and his soul into the game and when it comes off for him like that as it did this weekend then you know fantastic David Silva of course we've got, we'll come to the games uh, we faced in the remainder of the week in just a tick but David Silva off I thought initially with a hamstring injury I'm now I now read it's a muscle problem uh, concerning uh, particularly given what we face in the next few days uh, Dave I would say going into most other games we've got the squad depth to accommodate for Silver's absence. The thing with Silver, and I've never seen a player who can do this as well as him, is to his ability to retain possession without, you know, being a sort of hulking six foot four centre forward who can hold the ball up at the corner flag. David Silver can get the ball in the middle of the pitch and just not lose it. Mm. In a game like Liverpool, where you know the ability of the other team to break, their game is all about you know catching you out and you know running down the other end of the pitch before you can catch them. You know, having. The option to have, you know, Silva, De Bruyne, Bernardo, those players who are really assured in possession would have been very useful, and I think he will be a big miss for that game. John Stones uh, had his critics this season, and he's been in and out of the game, out of the team because of injury, etc. I thought looked more comfortable uh, on Saturday. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I think he made one rick, uh, from what I can remember, but generally comfortable. But how could you not look comfortable when your team's got, you know, so much possession? And the uh, and Southampton had so little in the way of attack, you know, one chance, one goal. But other than that, they did absolutely nothing. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I don't think there's enough there to say he's on his way back. He's a different player. He's, you know, he's he's still what he has been for the last last f- few months. Um, I'd be surprised if he started at Liverpool. Would you? Mm. Who would you put in there then? Well, I think Fernandinho's got to be the got to be one of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd probably go with Otamendi. Oh. oh, no, no. No, the man who cannot deal with pace. Oh, I, I would take stones over at Otamendi any game, any day of the week. I think Otamendi's a walking liability, and particularly any time he's come up against pace, he's been, you know, he, he's a disaster. And if there's one game of the season, I would definitely not want Otamendi, you know, pay to keep Otamendi away from Anfield on Sunday. I think it's, uh, that's a disaster waiting to happen. OK, we're going to take a break now. In, uh, in part two, we'll be talking about those uh, games against uh, At- Atalanta and, of course, uh, a- against Liverpool and asking the question, was Pep right uh, to call out Mane as a diver? Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Welcome back. Let's talk about these uh, crucial games coming up in the rest of the week. First of all, at Atalanta, Atalanta, uh, and then, of course, uh, at uh, Liverpool. Atalanta first. Now, let me ask you, uh, Nick, do you think Pep should risk a slightly weakened team against Atalanta? We've got nine points already. We only need one more win. We're probably going to beat Shakhtar at our place, uh, and then we've, we've got to go to Croatia for an away game against a team that's not that brilliant anyway. A weakened team against at, at uh, Atalanta? Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that we've got ourselves into exactly the position that we would want to have been in for this game because we, you know, we knew weeks ago that we had Liverpool coming up after it. Um, and this is not a must-win game. Um, so I think he will not risk anyone that doesn't need to be risked for this game. So who would you leave out? Oh, I thought you might ask me that. <laughs> oh, well... That's a slightly more difficult question because we are a little bit short-handed anyway. But I'm uh, rather than answer it, well, I was going to say who we would leave out. I think who you would play. I think you're going to be seeing Phil Foden. Yeah. Uh, I think you will see Angelino again. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see Cancelo rather than Carl Walker, for example. But that you know that doesn't necessarily point to who's going to play at Liverpool. But you can rotate at least. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I think you will definitely see uh, those players who have not necessarily featured consistently for the past few weeks um, in the first team. I mean, Pep's policy, uh, as, as far as I can remember, Dave, has always been to feel the strongest team he's got available in any, tour- any tournament, the Carabao Cup, uh, Champions League or, or obviously the Premiership. Uh, what do you think about tomorrow at Atalanta? Is, is there a case in this instance for saying, well, let's give a few of the kids a chance to put Foden in, let's put maybe, you know, Garcia in at centre-half, uh, give some of the youngsters a chance? I mean, they're strong teams and they're strong teams. And generally speaking, in the standard of the group we're in, I think any, te- any team we field is reasonably strong. I think he has to rest players. I think the Liverpool game is going to be a game, but whatever happens at the end of the season, we're going to be talking about that game as a turning point for something. 
Um, we need to make sure that we, you know, they've got a 24-hour head start on us playing tonight. They also have a, um, you know, their, yeah, their game plan is to t- is very, you know, to play against them is a very tiring thing to do, much as it is to play against us. We need to make sure that we can rest players, and there's certain players you're going to really want to be on that pitch on. On Sunday, so who do you rest tomorrow? So I will rest Carl Walker. I think we need his uh, need his pace for for that game to do with that defence. I definitely rest John Stones. I would probably even toy with resting, you know, your De Bruyne's, your David Silvers, your Sergio. Oh, well, David's injured. Oh, sorry, he, Bernardo he, Silva. Bernardo yes, Silva. Sterling. Yeah. Sterling. Um, well, query whether you want to start Sterling at Anfield as well, given his uh, some of his past troubles there. But I would probably be going for making seven or eight changes for this game. Oh, big changes then. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean. If this was the last game of the group and we'd already qualified, you'd be talking differently. I think you you rest the players for this one. Maybe go a little bit bigger for Shakhtar and Zagreb, but just this Liverpool game is too important to risk. Mm. Very interesting. We'll see what happens. Let's talk then about Liverpool and Pep's now controversial remarks. Um, I'll try and quote him as faithfully as I, I can because there's slightly different versions of this quote, but as far as I remember it, he said that, uh, that uh, he, Sane has a special talent. Sometimes it's for diving, sometimes it's for scoring late, very important winners. Question. Should a manager, any manager, say something like that before a game like this, Dave? I would say yes. I think, a well, certainly a part of the game, as long as I've known it, is that managers play mind games. And Guardiola, if he really wants to you know, take some of the pressure off his players by putting some pressure onto Liverpool and Liverpool's manager to respond, that's his prerogative. If he wants to say these things, he's already got a reaction out of Jurgen Klopp, it's his prerogative to do so. People are talking about that, people aren't talking about... Um, you know, some of our struggles against Southampton anymore. So, arguably, he shifted the pressure off our players in advance of a very big game. First point, uh, Nick, is it true, uh, bearing in mind that although um, Sane was booked for simulation, the playback revealed that he was actually touched on this particular instance? Uh, well, it is true, yeah. I mean, he is a diver. Um, he is turning it into something of a speciality. Uh, in the same sort of way as the likes of Ashley Young used to do for United when anybody cared about him and when it mattered for them. Um, but yes, it's undoubtedly true. Everybody knows that it's true. And actually, it's it's a point that's worth making, not just because we're playing them uh, this week, but because uh, it needs highlighting on a, on a wider basis in relation to the rest of the season. And the fact that the referee... Uh, booked him at the weekend was actually um, uh, very important because he was. Uh, he was. It's been. It's been coming, and it should have happened before. Mm. Uh, but he's been taking significant liberties in recent weeks. My own view is that uh, I, I wasn't there, obviously, at the press conference. But my own view is that Pep probably said this with a smile, as a bit of a joke. Having said that, given the uh, history of the this particular clash. And given what happened to the city bus on the, the last time we went around there and the repercussions of that, um, I don't want to sound too pompous about this or put too much emphasis on it, but is it not arguable, at least, that that kind of remark might exacerbate an already sort of potentially fiery situation outside the ground, never mind inside it, Nick? Uh, possibly... But I don't think that's uh, that's the way that football should go. Um, 
I think that uh, fans should be responsible for the way that they behave. Um, there should not be a no, They should be, but they're not. And it, but they should not, uh, is, they isn't should it not, arguable that they'd be fired up by... Uh, Nutters in the Liverpool crowd would be fired up by that. Yeah, possibly, but they're, they're, they're fired up anyway. I think, that, I think more importantly, if... Um, and again, not wanting to get too pompous about it, but if the Liverpool local police don't ensure that that doesn't happen again, then they will have been uh, well, uh, I must negligent. Confess, yeah, their track record of uh, not being able to find a single person responsible for the last attack is, well, odd, to put it mildly. But what about my point uh, then, Dave, that this arguably was a sort of incendiary remark? I think... I don't think Pep will have viewed it that broadly. I think he will have viewed it in you know, the light of what I was saying, that he will view this as him trying to deflect pressure from his team and maybe start to sow some seeds of doubt in you know, referees' minds about you know, if Mane tries the same theatrics against City and in terms of just you know, putting the cast amongst the pigeons you know, in the build-up to this game when arguably Liverpool have a team coming into it with the better momentum. Um, as to, you know, there are some distinctly unsavoury elements to this game and it's notably got worse in the last two years in terms of outside the ground and I think anyone who was on a uh, tube train from um, from Euston to Wembley for the Community Shield will be able to uh, know what I mean. Um, but, you know, I don't think that will be in Guardiola's mind. And like I say, that's not his job. He's a manager. He manages the football team. He's not, you know, unless he, you know, sort of did a made a call to arms amongst City fans, you know. He's making comments about another player in the field of football. He's commenting on football. That's, that's his remit. He also, in fairness, said, uh, if I remember rightly, uh, Nick, that, that uh, Sarney's other talent was scoring late and very important goals. And that is undeniable, isn't it? Oh, he's a great player. I've got a lot of respect for Liverpool, uh, the team, and for, for Klopp. I think he's a great guy, actually. I think he's a great manager, and I think Liverpool play really, really good football. Um, there are wider issues about the club that are, I find less like positive. What? Like what? Well, I don't, I don't want to get into all of that <laughs> stuff because there's no there's no need to be unpleasant about you know, the about any other other team or other club. But it's a bit of a shot across Klopp's bows, and I think again it it's it's as much for the for the rest of the season as it is for this for this game because I think I don't think mind games really affect. The manager, the players. I think it's more about just getting a bit of media hype around it. Um, when it's really going to start affecting affecting Liverpool, the club, the uh, the team, and the manager is much further later in the season because ahead, behind, whatever they are, they are going to be under enormous pressure towards the end of the season, and that's when things are really going to yeah. start affecting them. Well, they are, uh, but also, uh, you know, they've been accused by City fans in particular, and a lot of other fans too, of being, you know, the luckiest team in the league uh, because of this ability to, to have goal ke- opposing goalkeepers make terrible mistakes towards the end of a game, uh, get late penalties, which are sometimes controversial. But at the end of the day, uh, Dave, you know, they keep winning, don't they? And they are a damn good team, and we have to acknowledge that, don't we? It's the law of large numbers. I mean, if you are winning, what is it, 28 unbeaten unbeaten Premier League games, sorry, you know, that's not luck. There there is something in how they've been, you know, the the length of time for which they've been a good, so, you know, they've been delivering these sort of results. We have to look at them and go, they're a seriously good team. They're also a team who generally have had a pretty good edge on us over the last few years. Generally speaking, I think Pep has, you know, Pep, 
and Klopp have got a bit of needling towards each other. Pep got the better of him in, for most of the time in Germany. Um, I think we saw the level of respect Pep has for Klopp when in the Community Shield where he changed the way we played subtly to better... Um, you know, better deal with some of the threats that Liverpool play, you know, putting the defence a little bit deeper, for example. So I kind of feel, you know, there is there is that that they that they um that there is that respect there, but also Pep knows what he's doing, he's managing this carefully. But 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 other than the Champions League game when they beat us they beat us inside half an hour, um they have not had brilliant results against us in the league in the last couple of years. And actually, you know, just having listened to the radio debates after the games, Liverpool fans are absolutely livid with Klopp, with the, in, with the way that he has um, um, gone about the games against us, mostly, because they feel that he's not been aggressive enough, he has been looking to take a point, he has not played his most attacking players. Um, and, um, you know, they, are, they get really, really angry about Fact it. Fact is, though, we haven't won there since, what, 2003? No, that's right. But we actually, when we played last year at Anfield, we kept them very quiet. And obviously, we could have won the game. We should have won the game with a late penalty. We didn't. But we kept them very quiet. And, again, Klopp was criticised very, very heavily after that game for the fact that they, they didn't attack us enough. And I just this, wonder how that's going to, yeah, going to play out this week. We go into this game, obviously, without uh, Laporte, who's a, a big, big miss. Possibly Rodri will be there. He's been training, we're told, uh, today. Doubt they will play in Italy tomorrow, but he's possibly going to be there at Anfield on, on Sunday. Uh, put very simply, how do you rate our chances, Dave? I think we'll concede at least two. I think we may well score two as well. I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult game. I think they're going to come at us very aggressively early on and it's how we weather that I think we may have a couple of tactical surprises in there I wouldn't be entirely surprised if we fielded three centre-backs and you move Walker into the centre and play Cancelo and Mendy at wing-back just to give us a little bit extra pace in that defence I think Pep's going to throw some surprises there but it's going to be a long game there's going to be a lot of incidents and I think it's going to be you know I think think it's going to be one fit for its billing I think they're favourites I think they're probably stronger favourites than they have been against us last year or the year before. Um, I do think they will come out and really have a go. Uh, The first 15, 20 minutes will be very, very important. Um, But that does give us a chance because if we play out of our skins as we are capable of, um, then we've got every chance of um, scoring at least a couple of goals ourselves. I think at the end of the day, you know, I want to see a great game. I want to see another great game like we had at, at our place last year, where we, you know, we just managed to win it. We scored two brilliant goals. Um, we were slightly fortunate in one or two instances, but we we came out and we won the game. Uh, but it was a fantastic. It was one of the games of the season, undoubtedly, and I hope we get a repeat of that. If we lose, Dave, and I hope we don't, obviously, if we lose, is that it? Nine points behind? Is that irretrievable? It becomes very difficult. I think it's not irretrievable. I think one of the uh, one of the interesting things I always find about Liverpool is the moment they start to get themselves in a good position, the weight of expectation from them, their fan base starts to cripple their team, and that you know I think that sometimes reflects in particularly their home form. And of course, let's not forget that they have got a serious fixture pilot coming up. Assuming they get to the later phases of the Champions League, the FA Cup, they've got this Club World Cup in Qatar in. 
one of the uh, most unnecessary games of football. Yeah, what is that all about, for heaven's sake? Mm-hmm. Money is yeah, what it's all yeah. about. Um, but the, um, you know, they, they've got, they've of course got to the later stage of the Carabao Cup as well. They are going to start getting tired, and their squad is not quite as deep as everyone seems to mm. think it is. So I really think, you know. Certainly towards the end of the season, this really might tell for them, just at the point where we start getting players back. Yeah, this is not a death wish. I mean, but if, if we lose, if we lose... It... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I stick to my guns generally and um, say that one way or another, I don't think we're going to win it this season. But, um, you know, if we lose and we're nine points behind, uh, then it's not impossible, uh, but it becomes far more about uh, relying on Liverpool slipping up or bad things happening to them or their luck running out um, as much as anything we can do. So if we didn't win, but we won the Champions League, would you be a happy man? Which, you, which would you prefer to win? Ah, well, I've, I, I care far more about the Premier League than I do about the so Champions League. Um, and... It would, uh, I mean, it would, you know, it'd be kind of if we did manage to win the Champions League, then it would be a reverse of last year with them winning the league and yeah. us winning the Champions yeah. League. It, it wouldn't be a terrible thing, uh, but I would always rather win the uh, the Premier League. What about you, Dave? Whilst I'd love to see Manchester City win the Champions League, you know, if if. Liverpool win the Premier League, I'm going to have to emigrate. I cannot live in a country <laughs> where Liverpool are Premier League champions with how their fans will be like. I cannot stand them and I do not want to see them why, anywhere uh, near the Premier explain League. Explain that, explain that. Why, why, is it, why is it the, not hatred, but why is the feeling so deep and so I think it's just passionate. because of the entitlement. They view, the, they view the, you know, getting a Premier League title as their birthright and they keep going on and on and on about it and you, you know that if they win it once it will go on forever they won't just be the Premier League champions for one year they'll be the Premier League champions of 2020 for the rest of time it, it, it's, <laughs> pro- it's probably it's probably better to ask a United fan how they felt in 2012 because it'll be something similar I guess not quite as intense but something similar do you consider them to be our main rivals now Liverpool to be our main rivals now oh of course Yes, I mean, in terms of performance, absolutely. There's, there's only really two teams. But historically now. and culturally, uh, well, I think it's all about the moment, mostly. Um, historically and culturally, no, it's about United. It's no, that's never going to change. It, it's the United and Arsenal of our time. You know, the same way Manchester United and Arsenal were in two thousand two, two thousand three. This is what this is now. It's the two best teams in the country. Making each other better, to be honest. The teams are better and better because the other one exists, and there's a rivalry around it. And I think it's good for the game. But I don't think I'm the only. I don't think I'm the only one. But I, you know, there are now times where you start having a chat with United supporters and saying, "God, you know, now I understand why you hate them so much about Liverpool." Oh, yeah. And they it. say, "Oh, yeah, now you know, now now you realise what now you realise what it's about." I was never fond, but this is because <laughs> right. I, I, you know, as a kid in the sort of seventies, eighties had a great deal of respect for Liverpool. Uh, they were winning everything. Apart from anything else, they made sure United never won anything. Um, but they're a different club now. Scoreline? Nick? I am going to say 3-1 Liverpool. 3-1 Liverpool? That's pessimistic. 2-0. Two 2-0. All. Two all. Two, two all. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it'll be a draw. It'll get us nowhere. It's a bit like the election. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much indeed to Nick Golson. Thank you very much indeed to Dave Hodgson. Uh, thank you very much indeed to all of you for listening. See you next time.
This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.